The year is 1982. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Welcome to My Marvelous Year, the comic book reading club, where we go through all of Marvel's history from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book newbie, and alongside me today is Dave, founder and editor of ComicBookHerald.com, who has implanted eggs in my belly. Hey, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) That was definitely the best way to say that. Um, There was no alternate phrasing that could have been employed there. And that's right. I've been brooding about Zach lately. And uh, the end result (laughs) was was eggs in his belly. We are here today talking about this is part three, our first part three ever in the My Marvelous Year reading club and podcast journey. This is the third part of 1982, where we will be discussing today Wolverine 1 through 4, Uncanny X-Men 160 to 164, and Fantastic Four issues 240 and then 242 to 247. If you've been playing along at home, uh, definitely this has been a great year of comics, and I think the trend continues here in part three. If you haven't been and you'd like to get caught up, you can find all the reading lists in the show notes for the episodes, or you can always go over to patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear, where Zach posts the most updated lists regularly. Um, And you can also find cool and fun ways to both support the show, which is greatly appreciated, and get some benefits um, and bonuses, like an exclusive Slack channel where a lot of our uh, dedicated Reading Club members hang out and like do... um, do talk together <laughs> and uh what a, yeah what we a had a crazy thing. conversation today about um, mm-hmm. avengers 213 the uh the hank pym janet infamous aka the issue. worst comic we've ever read as part of my well, that, that's actually how it came up is that i saw you post on instagram mm-hmm. and i was like man i just i really don't agree with that and i like took it to the club like what are people's thoughts about that and uh I think it's actually kind of positive. Most people, I feel like, swinged out on my side. We don't have to, like, relitigate this. But we had a really, like, good Positive, like, it's a good like, comic. Um, Like, it's a yeah, good storyline. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, it's a good storyline and, like, fit the character and handled moderately okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it, we, I mean, same issues we brought up, like, when we talked about it. You know, Janet Van Dyne being written poorly. A lot of, like, it kind of redeems itself just in the fact that Janet divorces him immediately and then Janet becomes a good character from here on out like is a good redemptive arc to that i do um, think this is but, not you know, really what we're going to be talking about today but there is something to be no, said. no Maybe i we can talk about it in a variant cover in terms sure. of the aftermath of a bad story or bad event saving yeah. that story like so people yeah, talk about this yeah, a lot yeah. with um with barbara gordon and using like the killing joke yeah, you know one of the biggest yeah, criticisms yeah. of the killing joke graphic novel is the assault of barbara gordon at the hands of the joker and a lot of people say, well, yep. if not for that, she never would have become Oracle. It's kind of like you're conflating two ideas there because good things were done in the aftermath of the story. They don't in any way reflect what happened in the actual story. You know what I mean? And I, I think I would well, argue and the that's, same here. I mean, that's so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's so interesting because, like, you're right. There's that kind of, like, I think, you know, there's decent arguments against what happened in The Killing Joke that that is, you know, a prob- problematic. But then 
when the new, I think it's the new 52 started and Barbara Gordon's like paralysis was healed and she became Batgirl again, there was like kind of a big uproar because it was like, hey, you took away like DC's good disabled like physical uh, a character with a physical disability mm-hmm. and like you know you healed her and she was you know kind of be like giving matt murdoch his eyes back not his eyes but you know his eyesight back whereas like a lot of people don't know like, that matt murdoch is missing both eyes um it's i mean he is typically wearing shades uh, you know yeah sure yeah yeah anyway that that that's an all aside just to say we had a really cool conversation in the slack from like social psychologists weighing in to, uh, you know, people from different countries talking about how, like, it's framed f- through the lens of, like, you know, their culture, different different kind of stuff, you know. It was uh, it was pretty cool. All right, going over to patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear um, yeah. if that sounds up your alley. In the meantime, let's get into... Before we start, I have one, one little thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. Do you, do you hear this? Uh, I don't. What am I, what am I listening for? Exactly. I'm clicking my mouse, Dave. Click, click, <laughs> click, click, click. Did you get a new silent mouse? I actually, I bought, so I don't know if we've ever talked about this, maybe like a year ago. Uh-huh. It was driving me insane when we uh, when we were first recording that you would be like clicking around on your computer. Right. And I would be editing and I would have to edit all these little clicks, click, click, click. Mm-hmm. And then I got a new setup and now I'm in front of my computer. I used to record like not in front of it, so I wasn't tempted by... You know, my mouse being in front of me. Right. But I have lately, and I've been the, I'm the problem child. Now you're now. the clicker. Like, yeah. for the last few months, I've been, like, editing my own little clicks out. Not always, so I'm sure you can hear them. And I finally decided, oh, but all those months ago, I sent Dave <laughs> through Amazon uh, as a surprise gift, a silent wireless USB mouse. Which is really awesome. Let me, let me say. It's, it's actually, really it's a really good nice, mouse. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. I like so I bought literally the same exact one for myself this week because what's good for the goose is good for the gander. That's that's uh, what I'm, the, I'm always saying. That I'm a gander. Yeah, sure. So, all right, cool. Big updates on podcast equipment. Uh, thanks for that. That was useful. You know, I I definitely uh, I had to edit out a bunch of clicks on a recording I did for Comic Book Herald uh, this weekend. So I totally feel your pain on that front. Yeah. Speaking of feeling someone's pain, Wolverine number one to four by Chris Claremont and Good Frank segue. Miller. Uh, this is the miniseries that kind of defines everything else that we need to know about Wolverine. Right? It's a, again late 1982 yeah, here. Sure. Claremont and Miller at the peak of their powers. We spent. All, not all, but a huge chunk of 82 Part 2 talking about the excellence of Miller's work on Daredevil. And here he's operating as a co-storyteller and artist with Uncanny X-Men scribe Chris Claremont. It's an excellent partnership. It's a really good four-issue mini, and it adds a ton to Wolverine's character that is almost easy to take for granted. Like, reading this mini, you know, it's this thing where I'm like, yeah, like, wait, what here is actually new? Versus what here was I already applying to Wolverine in Uncanny because I know about mm-hmm. it from this mini. You know, like it's so much yeah. of mm-hmm. who he is. Um, what was your take on reading this? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, it's, it's always been tough to do that to a degree, right? You know, like kind of bringing modern conception of characters backwards. As long as it doesn't clash too bad, you kind of see that. Uh, yeah, no, I totally agree. I think Frank Miller bringing in his like, I, I wonder how much he had to do with this because this reads like Frank Miller all over, mm-hmm. you know, like. The samurai stuff and all the like, you a lot know, of ninjas, like a lot of hand, a lot of honor, right? A lot of uh, you know, kind of like respect for Japanese society and their like stoic honor. Um, to a to a degree that I think is probably informed a little a little too much by samurai movies, but also doesn't feel like uh, 
anywhere near the like worst of the like othering orientalism stuff we've seen like it doesn't feel like even in the same league as what we've seen with from marvel before i think it's generally pretty a pretty good representation of uh wolverine being in another country yeah i mean i definitely think it's it's certainly intended that way which doesn't mean it's it pulls yeah. it off but it's definitely intended that way claremont and miller uh, so it's a story all about wolverine he's traveled to japan he is looking uh initially for a former love of his mariko and he uh, finds that she has been wed to a another, basically on behalf of her father. And kind of like you're saying, there's a lot of conversation, even from uh, Mariko here, that like this is all about honor, you know, because this this scumbum that she's married to, he's abusive. Scumbum. He hits her uh-huh. right, like he's he's dregs yep. of the earth, and she's like, I have to do this for honor of my father. Her father is Lord Shingen. He is the Lord of the uh, clan. Asada? Oh, shoot. Ooh, I'm, I'm blanking on the clan. Clan Ishida, I think. Um, anyway, big time, like, clan leader here in Japan. And Wolverine Ooh, is yeah, kind of, right. he's put out on his butt. Like, he gets his butt kicked by Lord Shingen um, when he goes to, to take Mariko away from the situation. And then he gets dragged into all sorts of hijinks with a new, uh, very fun addition to the Wolverine mythos. It's mm-hmm. Yukio. Yeah. She is a... Um, how would you define her? She's like kind of like crime. Uh, she's like in the crime world and she's uh, super energetic and and fun. And I'm totally at a loss for words, but she like pulls Wolverine into all of the hijinks that ensue. She, I mean, she's like, you know, hyper passionate, right? She's just got this like um, that, that same kind of like verve for life that you sometimes see from Wolverine mm-hmm. where she's just like, I will make you my man. And, you know, like. Uh, we need to live life to the fullest, you know, and like, I want to, I'm not going to die quietly. I'm going to go out grandly, like, yeah. with you, know, like, to the point of, you know, she pulls him in front of a bullet train and starts making out with him. <laughs> he, like, <laughs> saves their life yeah. at the last second. Um, yeah, yeah, I think all this is really good. The uh, the Wolverine, um, like, folding in I, the samurai stuff really works for his character, right? Because, like, it's a little too easy just to turn him into, like, the brutal berserker. Mm-hmm. But this kind of shows, like, how well he meshes in with this society um, shows how th- that kind of other side to him where he does have a code, right? And he does, like, play by his own set of rules that, you know, is not just, like, completely arbitrary morality. Um, and it, it does kind of sync up with this, like, idea of honor, you know? Um, and uh, what else here? I, I mean, I, we got to talk about Frank Miller's art again. He's doing incredible stuff. Like, he has such a sense of place and setting. Mm-hmm which is different from a lot of what we've seen in that, like, they're not in very specific, realistic, grounded places, but you always feel like you know where they are, like the gist of where they are. Like, it moves through a lot of different settings, and he's just suggestive enough that it focuses on what's important. Um, I'm trying to trying to think how to say it's it. Not it's not hyper-detailed, like, I, I think is definitely true. It's not, but you always, you, it, you just get a sense of, like, place really strongly from this in a way that we you've complained before i think about like avengers comics where it's just like they're fighting in a blue background Mm -hmm. like every panel is just a color or whatever that happens here but it all feels so um like there's a congruity a congruity is that the right word maybe i I know you can have an incongruity i don't know if you can have yeah if something's congruous certainly right yeah with with the like the, the both the emotions of the scene and with, like, the, the story that's happening and the, the setting itself, right? Like, he meshes those things together so well. 
he also has such an eye for scenes in a way that I don't know if comics do. Like, I feel like a lot of comics feel just like, and then this happened, and then this happened, now they're here, and now they're here, and now they're here, and it kind of just feels like one long freight train of a comic. Yeah. Frank Miller does a good job, and Claremont. Like, they are weirdly, or kind of surprisingly, a really good match here. Frank Miller just has, like, scenes. Like, I feel like it feels like individual little vignettes that he divides up by... Yeah. Um, by his art, you know, like here, these three pages are a scene. Now we cut to this scene and it's four or five pages, you know, that, that kind of thing. I do think it's impressive how in sync they are as a creative partnership, especially given that Mm -hmm. like they do not, you know, they just do these, this four issue mini and that's really it. It's not like Frank has a, an uncanny X-Men stint or something where they have the ability to build up a rapport over time. And, and for his part, you know, Claremont is, he's writing sort of a noirish, um, crime story as well you know Mm -hmm. within japan but even when it's like in the wilderness there's definitely i i do wonder like how much of and i have nothing to base this on other than just the way it reads but like claremont's writing here it is shorter it is snappier it almost flows a bit like miller's own when he's describing new york city landscapes in daredevil you know and which obviously meshes with the art because that is what we've come to expect in the pages of of daredevil um but yeah like they just they are so in sync with the way this story needs to be told and to your point wolverine here really the only times we've seen the quieter side of him in uncanny is when he's like pining after pictures of gene (laughs) and it's all like it's all like it begins very very um unrequited and and sort of just isolated whereas this is like no he has attachments and he has loves and he has um you know this code of honor or something that that you know kind of gets accentuated friendship in japanese culture yeah he's got that friendship with the uh that japanese agent like immigration agent that he has a history with yeah yeah so it's it does a really great job of building up who wolverine's going to be yeah it does a good job going both directions with that with both fleshing out the like the brutal side of him and the soft side of him Mm -hmm. because uh starting this out I was just thinking, like, man, like, he's just talking about how he kills so much, right? This is, like, Wolverine's thing. Right. He keeps talking about how brutal he can be. He can keep talking about how ruthless he can be. And I was just like, you know what? At some point, this is going to start ringing really false because we never see it. Like, we've never really seen him slash up somebody. The body count piles up here. <laughs> I feel like something flipped in 1982 where they were just like, hey, you know what? The comics code? They're not going to do anything if we kill people. Like, we can probably start killing people because seems like they backed off because this seems like the year... That, like, heroes and semi-heroes are starting to kill. And, uh, like, the body count is starting to pile up. I do think, too, there's—I I think you're right on that. But there's Specifically also— Specifically Miller. <laughs> right, right. But there's also um, the addition of the hand sort of allows for yep. that in a way that, like, in the past that would have been robots or sentinels or something. Yeah, and now yeah, it's they are like kind of anonymous. They're yeah. faceless ninjas, and they are—it's yep. like— it's like somehow no one has any well, like the hand doesn't have families you know like there's no like there's no sad like yeah. oh they're henchmen well with I, lives. Mean, I, I agree with that except for he kills uh uh Mariko's father here mm-hmm. in like a brutal panel like literally made me like like gasp a little oh bit it's not just the hand that, like, yeah yeah no you're right yeah i mean that that panel is genuinely like i don't know that that is a very striking execution scene mm-hmm. like he has this i think three or four page textless fight scene at the end between Mariko's father and uh shingen and wolverine that's incredible like just great action scene and it ends with him like you see the panel of wolverine holding up his fist to the uh the guy's face and then it cuts to a shot of wolverine's face and you see the shikt and it's just like implied that he just you know pushed his claws right through the guy's skull yeah and it's yeah it's absolutely brutal uh and it's all implied but like he definitely killed the guy <laughs> in a, oh, in yeah. a hyper violent way yeah uh that that feels 
you know, like a, a step farther down that road than what we've seen for a while um, or seen at all. Yeah, so no, far. I think you're right. I mean, a lot of Wolverine, you don't really, you see him slashing clothes a lot. You see him like almost mm-hmm. just yeah. missing a lot with actual people. Or when he cuts a guy's yep. arm off, it's like, oh, guess what? That was a robot arm. <laughs> Nobody knew. <laughs> yeah, it turns exactly. out. Yeah. Um, whereas here, it's like, no, no, he's he's a killer. Like, he's not just talking a game. Um, we're going to yeah. see this kind of, this trend continue too with like the Punisher, who up till now, like he's firing live rounds, but like there's not really any violence associated oh, with Punisher, his comics. The Punisher killed those guys in prison in Daredevil. In Daredevil, like he straight up, he straight up killed those two guys. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Also, Frank Miller loves the uh, he loves this trope of you know the hero or anti-hero having this like massacre of bad guys and then cut to like whoever it is, Wolverine or Punisher, like sitting on a pile of bodies. Yeah. Wolverine like is found sitting on a pile of bodies of people he just killed at least twice in this miniseries. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he really likes to have a smoke break like on the corpses of his enemies. Totally, totally. So the the comic ends like you described with the Wolverine killing Lord Shingen, sort of like un, unraveling his crime empire. Um, and it also yep. ends with Shingen's daughter Mariko. She uh, actually she so the story kind of kicks off with you know she's turning Wolverine away, and then she feels he's been dishonored because it looks like he you know is trying to kill her father in a battle that was supposed to be non lethal, and then she sees him kill a bunch of people and she's like well that's scary but by the end of this she sees him redeeming his honor honor she gives him the honor sword of clan yashida and uh they also send an invitation that they're gonna get married to the x-men so that uh that will continue in the pages of uncanny yeah yeah i I mean and that's like such a weird i mean that little um the little card at the end with the wedding invitation so cute yeah <laughs> it's just adorable yeah. like i think isn't wolverine like in a kimono there he just looks he's in a kimono sweet. he's happy it's very uh yeah. you know typically see um, looking like the, that. the the only other thing i wanted to bring up chris claremont's writing is great like i think it's kind of impressive how he can like switch modes here does it this doesn't sound like uncanny x-men um and like you said that might be miller collaborating um it's impressive to see that miller can work outside of new york city in that gritty style like this doesn't feel particularly grim and gritty this feels like a very different style and it's kind of fun to see that he isn't like a one-trick pony with that and then also um man there's one other thing i wanted to say about this um oh wolverine kills a bear uh which is the uh the best scene in the wolverine the movie the wolverine pulls from this strongly uh it It adds in like the silver samurai but besides that like it's very similar in story um but that uh, that bear scene from the Wolverine is what I remember the most. Yeah, <laughs> the book opens movie. right. The book opens with Wolverine hunting a, um, as we'll learn, wounded bear who's been killing people yeah. up in the Canadian uh, Rockies. I think possibly, literally. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how the movie opens. Yeah, um, it's a very cool that scene. Got, that movie's okay. I feel like no one talks about that movie, but it's got uh, the Wolverine got is very very okay. I would agree. I, I think the first half is solid, and then it gets into that big CGI robot mm-hmm. thing, and it loses all steam but that uh that arrow scene where he just gets like shot with a thousand arrows and is dragged back yeah pretty good scene yeah pretty cool they kind of they kind of do that here like but clearly this was the uh the crux of that oh totally okay. and i, I do think yeah. too like we should we're mention miniseries that are like spin-offs like this you know for characters yeah. who existed in in a team context um yeah they don't often work as well as wolverine does. really like oh okay. i mean i listen there are going to be plenty of examples and like like almost every character is going to have examples that that prove this thesis wrong i suppose yeah d- like dazzler the movie 
<laughs> right. Like Dazz- well, they're Dazzler the Ongoing's already that's already happening and that's been running strong. That's, that's crazy. Um, but uh, you know, like yeah. the Vision and Scarlet Witch, mini that's gonna branch out of this from the pages of Avengers. Or oh, Hawkeye really? gets a handful of at bats throughout the eighties. Like Wolverine comes mm-hmm. out and it solidifies Wolverine as as a superstar in the Marvel universe in a way that yeah. like is I <laughs> I, am I wrong to say unprecedented? I don't know that we've really had that experience. Since, not since the initial, like, two opening years, like 62, 63. Right, right. I don't think so. Since that yeah, wave no, no of one just since, everyone. No one since, like, you know, Spider-Man, Hulk, Fantastic Four, X-Men, like, initially, right? Yeah. Has blown up like this. I mean, it's true. I mean, that this legacy still exists to today. Wolverine comics sell, like right up there with spider-man like he's neck and neck with spider-man for sales there's always a wolverine solo series it's always gonna sell intriguingly it's gonna be a while before he actually gets the ongoing um in the marvel universe again like obviously he's going to have a presence in 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 the 80s i was like isn't didn't it just start this week (laughs) no no yeah in the in the actual 1980s yeah um yeah wolverine ongoing won't pick up until like lincoln on the until like 88 i think yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it's a it's a little bit because uh, it turns into like '90s nonsense pretty quick. I was looking through the the covers, and it's not too long into that series before <laughs> the covers start looking pretty disgusting. Um, Disgustingly awesome. Yeah, I think you mean. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, Chris Chris Claremont also. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, I th- I think part of that might be Chris Claremont really had a reluctance to let anyone take any of his X Men and uh and like run and do different series I don't, with I don't them. Fault that. Like. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. But he like kind of viewed it as his baby, and any time they were like, "All right, well, we're gonna spin it off into the New Mutants. We're gonna spin it off into, uh, you know, what is it, Excalibur? Yeah, we're gonna spin off a Wolverine series." He was just like, "All right, fine. I guess I'll fit another, you know, script a month into my schedule." I'll write that and too. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he he really wanted to, you know, kind of control the whole thing, which is cool. I mean, it, that's kind of neat. Honestly, I think that's what so many fans are looking for today in X-Men books when yeah. they when they yeah. pine for a return to Claremont era is sort yeah. of almost singular creative vision which I think is why Hickman X-Men is such a big deal in 2020 is the is the idea is the promise of that because um, that is kind of what you get here with Wolverine whereas it could have been just like oh Jim Shooter's writing this one you know and like it's just happening instead it's something really special that adds to the X-Men mythos and like I just said the story continues pretty directly in the pages of Uncanny X-Men number 172 so it's like, it doesn't stop here, you know? It continues into X-Men, which is where we're going to continue with Uncanny X-Men number 160 to 164. Zach, yep. we've got two issues that do two very interesting things, and then we got a Brood Saga. <laughs> so let's start with yep. 160, which is, um, this is the Belasco issue, is that right? Yeah. yeah Boy, yeah. is this a wild and weird uncanny x-men story it's written by chris I mean, claremont all this is a little weird yeah 160 is really strange um art yeah, by brent it, it anderson who yeah. we just saw yeah. in in god loves man kills and i i'm not going to try to explain the ins and outs of the plot thread other than to say the x-men are sort of captured by a demon right belasco yep and he yep. he is very interested in sister of piotr rasputin Colossus, Ileana Rasputin. Um, she is a young girl. She's seven, eight, something like that, you know? Yeah. Very young. Yeah, yeah. Like and he's seven, extremely yeah. interested in her and her potential. We don't totally know why. And in the in the the course of being so interested in her, all the X-Men get captured in this like demonic, very surreal realm where you can't quite tell what's real. Um, it's everything about it is 
dark and twisted nightcrawler there's a nightcrawler in this realm who is like groping kitty at one point (laughs) um it's upsetting just to see this character that i love you know behaving in this way even though we realize well, eventually the, the, it's an the, evil doppelganger. The thing is, it's it's actually them. It's not like at first because I was like, oh, it's some creepy, you know, it's some creepy magical clone mm-hmm. or something. And it's like, no, all the X-Men came here and most of them were killed. Yeah. Except for Nightcrawler and Storm. Storm escaped with her sanity, but Nightcrawler is now just this like twisted little lackey of Belasco. Yeah. And is this creep, which is that's way more upsetting than anything else like that. You know, he was like corrupted and turned into this little sex creep. Well, and I think Um, what you're what you're describing, too, is there's like a time displacement and a just a weird sensation of unreality to the whole thing where it's like we sort of see every character at one point or another killed. um, And you can't quite tell, like, when did this happen? Are they did they just die in the sequence of events here right. or is this yet to happen? Um, and but then Wolverine as is like, that's definitely Colossus. Like he finds Colossus's body with its chest cave in, mm-hmm. caved in and he's like, you know, my sense of smell says that's definitely Peter, but this body is ancient. Yeah. And it's like, you just saw him like, yeah, I mean, the absolute worst thing that happens here that genuinely gave me the heebie-jeebies is that Belasco traps Kitty in this big like ice crystal looking thing. Yeah. And then he just removes her skeleton and makes her look at it, like, just magically, like, displaces it and holds it in front of her. It's really gross and upsetting, especially later when they're just like, we have to get Kitty out of there. But what will happen to her without her skeleton? And it's just like, just the thought of that. It doesn't even look like Kitty doesn't look any different. But just the idea that, like, if she's not being held up there, she's just going to you know, like fall into this big fleshy pile. Yeah. That's really, really gross. I I think uh, this works on the back of its premise and the, like the ideas behind it. I think the artwork kind of holds this back a little bit in that the panel layout and the, like the, the flow of the whole thing makes it confusing in a way that doesn't feel controlled. Mm. That feels a little haphazard. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a I little don't... bit of a bummer. I felt that about a lot of the comics, actually. Everything but Wolverine had a touch of that for me this year, where I was like, the art is not helping how good the writing is here, or good the story is here. I do think that in the case of 160, Anderson's art is... it. it you can put some of the blame there, but you, I also put some of the blame on Claremont, because this issue yeah. is yeah, so... Sure is... It's trying to do so much, and, and it's yeah. also yeah, yeah. setting up a surprising amount of stuff that, like... I don't know how much like he's obviously a planner in terms of planting seeds and coming back to it later. Mm -hmm. But there's so much in this that is like, oh, I'll get to that later. And it actually reads that way (laughs) where it's like, oh, like, yeah, there's a lot here, but it kind of seems like you didn't have time to get to it here. So it's coming later. And just when the story reads that way, then you're just Mm kind of missing chunks. Um, So I, I do think it's it's very interesting. It's very sort of gruesomely dark, but it's also like there's a lot more to explain as to what the heck is happening here. The big the big twist by issue's end is a storm from the future shows up to help the X-Men, saying, like, mm-hmm. we took, you know, a wrong turn, basically, the first time we did this, so now I've been trapped here for years. Let me help you all escape. So they are able to yep. escape Belasco's realm, and in doing so, they all jump through this portal. Ileana, they, Kitty has to reach back in to grab her because Belasco's got a hand on her. And when they pull her out to freedom, she has aged up now, so she is a teenager like as well. Yeah, she's so she's lived six 13. years in Belasco's realm of limbo, mm-hmm. which obviously is like, okay, we're going to come back to that too because that's a pretty big deal. So it's an important issue. Um, it's not it, like a Stone Cold classic, but it sets up a it, lot. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um 
it sets up Ileana as some kind of like, you know, a, a mutant to watch, right? Yeah, like, right. Blasco has big plans for her. He there's some amulet she has or he has where it's like the when the bloodstones align, I'll you know use you to open a portal. He wants to like open a portal to a demon realm, something like that to to humanity. Um, and also <laughs> this this whole issue ends with like Peter comforting Ileana, and then like it shows kind of like the visage of Blasco hovering over them. You know, with his evil plotting, yeah. holding, uh, holding Fozzie Bear. <laughs> it's really straight. <laughs> I didn't He's like that. holding the uh, the like stuffed animal that maybe Alana left behind, and it's like literally Fozzie Bear. Oh, that's <laughs> it's, awesome! It's very funny. Now I need Velasco kind of to be like waka waka waka. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I I think this works. It's um, it's generally pretty creepy, and it's a cool idea. And it like it's just I think it's like just borderline feeling uh a little too messy. I but I kind of applaud Chris Claremont. He's really trying to mess with like um nonlinear storytelling mm-hmm. in a way we haven't seen. Between this and the Brood Saga, the Brood Saga really gets into that. I think it's a little more successful there, although maybe slightly not not perfect, but yeah. a little more successful. But I, I do I do applaud him for like trying to, you know, do some interesting stuff, telling stories out of Fantastic Four does that a little bit too, but kind of in a more traditional way. Yeah. So moving forward um, yeah. to one sixty one this issue is, it sort of kicks off the Brood Saga because Professor X is comatose and he's been infected by a Brood Queen at this point. Um, I'm not sure how much the characters around him totally oh, understand yeah, this skip, yet. We skipped like 10 or 11 issues between the last batch of X-Men we read in this one. Yeah, we, yeah, which, we made a jump uh, here. I, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, been a, there's a bunch of little stuff that have happened that they like reference. I haven't read them. Or I read them like back in the day, a couple back in the day, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, two years ago. Um but I didn't get around to reading them this time. But, uh, you know, I still kept up fine. Yeah, as always, the full Claremont X-Men yeah. experience is worth yeah, it. Yeah, I'll go back for them. The yeah. The main takeaway from this issue is a flashback that Professor X has while he's comatose, where mm-hmm. we get um, yeah. the origins, basically, of him and Magneto meeting for the first time, and also the origins of Professor X meeting Gabriel Holler, who uh, is going to be a, a relevant player in X-Men history as well. The good here. Is is this idea of Magneto and Professor X meeting? I think post Korean War now. Um, yep. And yeah, Professor yeah. X learns, you know, Magneto was an Auschwitz survivor. Um, he mm-hmm. Professor X is a mutant, but he is, you know, a secret mutant, and he doesn't really know of other mutants out in the world. He has fought the Shadow King at this point. We get reference to, um, but he kind of in Magneto senses a kindred spirit, right? And it's this person where he can have spirited conversations about mutants, and they're kind of both like coming to the revelation without saying it out loud until the end of the issue that they think the other is a mutant just like them. Professor X also, he shows up, he's a doctor here, and he shows up and Gabriel Holler has been uh, in kind of a waking coma, it looks like. And um, he shows up and just cures her in like, like one psychic like session basically but mm-hmm. they're magneto yeah. and a doctor are present and <laughs> like it's a pretty obvious potential giveaway that he's got something special going on because otherwise oh, it's like what I, did you do to oh, wake her up i didn't actually uh, i didn't understand that like no one knew that he had psychic powers i kind of just assumed that's why he was called here yeah you're right that is like kind of absurd that that wouldn't be he's still kind of keeping you know, it understood wraps. by everybody there yeah yeah i guess you i guess you're right um the uh, yeah, I mean the the skeezy part about this is he just starts dating her immediately, <laughs> and he acknowledges <laughs> like, it's skeezy, which doesn't necessarily make it better, but he's aware. No, yeah, he's like, I mean, you know, she she thinks he actually talks about like, well, I can't just read her mind. It wouldn't, you know, 
you're not you shouldn't read other people's minds without their permission and then he's like looking at her and he's like she thinks she's in love with me well this probably isn't okay but uh we both need this right now and but the smooches are so good yeah and if it doesn't hurt anyone what's the harm Mm, big smooch yeah like yeah it's, it's very gross and uh yeah i wonder it's gross but it could be like an interesting character flaw if it was being viewed as a flaw which maybe claremont is doing oh i don't i don't think it's viewed as as good or like a healthy relationship i mean i yeah i guess i don't i don't know that you could even come away with that like just from professor x's own you know kind of acknowledgement that like i have almost unintentionally manipulated her into thinking she's in love with me you know if nothing else because i'm the doctor who just saved her you know yeah, throw I mean, away just you know, like mind you, control. There's a reason psychiatrists shouldn't date their patients. Yeah, sure. <laughs> right, like right. That's that's a pretty clear uh, red line. And there's and there's not enough of like, oh, it's it's wrong, but it's so right. Like steamy romance type stuff where you'd be like, I'm invested mm-hmm. in this. He's just like, hey, she's cute. <laughs> like I'm gonna roll with this, <laughs> yeah. and immediately breaches you know sort of that ethical contract. So yeah, it's not a good look for Charlie. I don't think one bit. Uh, Gabrielle, for her part, she's hunted by Nazis at the moment. Because mm-hmm. uh, yep. they believe she knows something about them that they don't want her to reveal. So we get no, a... she knows where all the gold is. She knows where the she Nazi knows where gold is. where all that is. Nazi gold. Yep. So we get a Professor X and Magneto versus Nazis uh, fight yeah. at the end of this, which I got to say, I'm a big Magneto Nazi hunter fan. And this delivers on that mm-hmm. front, including a showdown between Magneto and Baron Von Strucker. If Nazis are afoot... Yeah. So is the evil Baron. I love. Strucker. I love him pulling out the Satan hand, the Satan claw, baby, and then and it Satan claw, yeah, and it immediately becoming completely ineffective because Magneto just crushes it yeah. on his hand. Yeah, he's just like, you're coming at me with a metal hand. You're an idiot. <laughs> I mean, no one knows about Magneto at this point. I I love. I mean, it is such like delicious revenge that Magneto. Like gets his startup cash by pillaging Nazi gold. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, right. He ta- he takes this, you know, like a swimming pool full of gold bullion, and flies away with it, you know, and like steals it from the Nazis, and that is that is very satisfying. Hard agree. Uh, so yeah. following this story, Professor X he does wake up, and uh, I, which I don't know why. I'm, I'm trying to remember <laughs> that as like, well, and I can't. I can't. No, put everyone's it mourning him like he's dead. Yeah. Uh, before this, and then he just has you know a flashback and it wakes him up i guess sometimes you have a you have the right flashback and it kicks you out of a coma uh meanwhile the x-men are traveling with the shiar is how this ends and deathbird shows up and she bombs their butts and she's working with the shiar or she's working with the brood excuse me to uh Mm -hmm. run a classic deathbird coup on lalandra deathbird is the sister of lalandra and her thing is she is shiar royalty and she's always coming for the crown and she yeah she collaborated with the brood who immediately were just like oh you're a fool we don't have allies you're our slave now <laughs> yeah yeah and, bad uh, collaborators <laughs> those yeah. those slezoids uh and then we get really like three x-men versus the brood stories more or less mm-hmm. um yep. which is the brood are aliens that look like the alien from aliens <laughs> yeah, so i be told clear yeah wait have you never seen alien? i have never seen alien or aliens Oh, interesting. Yeah. So my my perspective is they ripped off the brood. I hear other people say it the other way, but probably I just have to assume they're reading. You know, I mean, they're similar, but like they're not. I mean, the 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 alien from Aliens doesn't have like a big stinger. I guess he's got a big tail. And that one, these ones read as like lizardy. You don't get lizardy from the uh, the alien. Okay. 
in Alien. You get like a weird uh like stingray flesh, that like weird smooth rubbery wet skin. Like they they have a they have a different vibe. I I don't think it's it probably is influenced like definitely leaking into his head, but I don't think it's a clear ripoff. Yeah. I I remember really being bored by this last time I read this. Like I remember this screeching X-Men to a halt for me. Mm-hmm. When I read this before, uh, I don't think that anymore, but I also, I don't love it. Like, I'm kind of like, yeah, that was fine. It has some okay ideas. It's a little long. By the time they get into space, I'm pretty checked out. I really like the Wolverine on the planet thing, but I think the visuals let it down. There's another one where I'm like, the visuals of the brood planet are pretty generic, like Silver Age alien world, right? Mm -hmm. Like, the sky is purple sometimes or green other times. There's a weird Jack Kirby monsters that kind of, you know, are forgettable the moment you see them. They just kind of seem like freehand monster drawing exercises instead of like a deliberately designed creature besides the brood, like what's populating the rest of this planet. And you know why um, you're, you know why you're ripping on these, this art again, the return of uh, Dave Cockrum, Dave Cockrum, the return yeah, of Dave you know Cockrum. What? I, I, I actually think it's not it's not the same issues I had with him before. I think like they uh, it's pretty pretty clean and clear. Like that was some of my issues before. Is he felt like a little overcrowded in his panels. I think the panels are okay. Um, I think it just doesn't look that interesting. I'm like I'm not that visually interested in this. This this actually made me think something. Do you think and this absolutely has to be our poll for 1983 next year? We got to remember this. Do you think it is more likely that a story, a comic with bad writing but really good art you'll like that more or a comic with good writing and bad art. Okay. Uh, I, I definitely think so generally I would say I come for the stories and the writing more than I do come for the art. That is definitely what hooked me onto the medium and just where my mind goes as a, as a reader. Um, I have, I have a, a growing appreciation for comic book art That's with little... every day, but I, it's definitely not something that I, I don't, frankly, I just, it's not my creative talent. So I feel like often I don't understand it enough or even have the vocabulary enough to have sure. it be my yeah, focal yeah. point. That said, yeah. that said really bad art or really uh, difficult to follow art. The writing almost doesn't matter. <laughs> like that, that's what enough. I'm saying. Not, not, not what you come to it for. Cause I, I would agree that I come to comics for the writing, not the art first you know i come for the writing first and the art second but i think i think it is easier for the art to sabotage a comic than it is for the writing too i think you're probably right i think you could there are comics that have subpar writing but great art that i would still want to read like starenko starenko had like pretty yeah right run of the run of the mill writing if not like aggressively (laughs) painful writing at times but that art really really elevated it whereas like I feel like this, Chris Claremont's writing a good story, uh, more or less. Like, this is my favorite X-Men stuff, but I think this is pretty interesting, and it's a new angle in the X-Men. Yeah. And I feel like the art is what makes this kind of, like, immediately disappearing from my brain. Hmm. You know? Like, I i don't remember this. It doesn't Yeah, I mean, I know, like I like me. the Brood Saga fine. I think 162 is the kind of the X-Men are captured, but Wolverine alone on a planet story. I think yeah. that one is quite yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do think there are yeah. memorable yeah, visual like images one, here yeah. where uh, Wolverine is infected. So here, the Brood's deal is they can infect anyone, really, um, yep. with eggs in your belly, as we talked about at the front of this, and then they, you will turn into a Brood. And the reason the Brood are so interested in mutants and the X-Men is because a Brood t- uh, turning a powered individual means an even more mm-hmm. powered Brood. That is going to end mm-hmm. the result, and they are trying to create, you know, a powerful army for their queen. So the brood are—they are a surprisingly intelligent race of aliens yeah, in the I, Marvel I universe. Yeah, I forgot that. I kind of, 
I kind of remembered them as just, you know, like brutal savage yeah. aliens. But, yeah. No, they are thinking. And like in, in more modern comics, you know, when there are councils of cosmic entities, like the brood have a seat at the table. They can communicate mm. like they are intelligent, yeah. strategic creatures. Um, they ride around in big space whales that they've enslaved. Yeah, that's a cool that's a cool touch that doesn't look that interesting visually. I wish that looked cooler because that's a that's a fun idea. Uh, I think it's a pretty cool visual. I, I like the uh, I like the big um, the big rotting corpse of them on the planet. But when uh, when you see them in space, I think the art in uh, I think the two. What is it? One sixty two and one sixty three. Mm-hmm. The art is OK on the planet. I think when they get to space, the art is like aggressively dull <laughs> like hmm. i was pulling out panels where i was like that spaceship is literally like a tube in three triangles yeah in the background okay like it, it felt really really rushed and uh i think that's why i was checked out of 164 the most you know what else also, is... it was just kind of like i was gonna say you know what else is happening with um with yeah. x-men comics right now and probably there yeah. have been examples of this that I just haven't noticed uh we're getting a little more cheesecakey than uh than we've been in the past we have it's, in it's i don't remember storm, which issue it is it might be Captain 160 Marvel. storm takes like seven showers <laughs> in the span yeah. of like i mean in front a, of everybody issue. she's literally like yeah 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 she literally is just like oh i'm gonna call in a rainstorm and like immediately is nude in front of everybody actually wolverine has a funny line where he's she's just like will anyone join me and wolverine's like sounds good darling yeah like, um which is the and and nightcrawler oh, is sheepish and blush, but I, I actually what I was going to point to not yeah. just storm because we've talked about that before and sort of the problems with that. Um, but yeah, even yeah. like the cover to one sixty three is Kitty in this like torn up like almost barely covering her butt white dress, you know, kind of thing. Um, it's definitely moving that, in a cheesecakey direction. I don't know how much that's going to continue. And then obviously uh, like the Hellfire yeah, Club, which is a, a big bit. sex orgy party club. I'm not sure we really emphasize yeah. that enough. Um. Like that's their thing. Oh yeah, there's big BDSM vibes to that. We did not really talk about that. Yeah, yeah, I can see that with the kitty. It didn't, it didn't jump out to me. I didn't notice anything like that, but I guess I can see that. Um, kind of, kind of here and over there with the brood. Um, you know, which yeah. are obviously the brood. Sex is the first thing that comes to mind when you're, when you're yeah. thinking of those aliens. I, I wanted to bring this up with Wolverine before. Mm-hmm. You know what is like? I think key to making Wolverine work. Claws. Is that he's not horny. <laughs> Uh, I think it would be so interesting. easy. He is. I think it would be so, I know, but like he's not, Um, it would be really easy and kind of the obvious choice to make him kind of a gruff chauvinist. Yeah. You know, right. Like, like when he I cuts Gene's be... dress in Uncanny 99 or 100. Yeah, you're right. Which I don't think is the case anymore. Like I think generally Wolverine, to my mind, is known for being like not a weird leering sex creep and to be kind of like supportive of the younger x-men women well like he turns down yukio i think um at least for a while yeah uh yeah kind of uh i mean after she kills his like best bud but no um. like when he (laughs) when she first saves him and she's like hot and heavy on the couch he's like oh he gives into her later but i'm just saying (laughs) not that (laughs) that he's not like sexual but that he's not like aggressively masculine sexual i think that would like really spoil wolverine and that is not something they lean into at all yeah that he is like um, and I think it would be really easy to do that. I think it would actually seem like the obvious choice, you know, like big gruff guy who, you know, he likes his women and he likes his beer. And uh, sure, you know, I, I think that's that's a nice touch that like he's generally pretty just like protective of Kitty. Right. Like and there's not like a gross leering thing to that. Even Jean Grey, he didn't get like he wasn't. Um, oh, my God. Who am I thinking of? Hawkeye in the Avengers. Right. You know, I always making snide comments. I don't know that just, anybody's. Like, 
as bad as Hawkeye and the Avengers, which is a weird yeah. thing to reconcile for somebody who <laughs> really likes Hawkeye today. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, yeah. You're, I, I do think you're right. Um, in terms of like what happens, the rest of this issue, Wolverine finds the X-Men, he frees them, they fight the brood. Mm-hmm. And then actually, in a fairly unexpected turn of events, Uncanny 164 is uh, kind of brings Carol Danvers back into the fold in yeah, she's been a with meaningful way. The whole time, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> she's been here. She's, she's been, um, the brood have been experimenting on her physiology actually because she's not mutant but she's not human but she's powerful so they want to know what's up Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and this is the issue where she becomes uh, or starts going by binary which will become her new code name where she is a super powerful cosmic sort of entity honestly Mm -hmm. um and it's uh it's a nice sort of sign of the chris claremont rehabilitation project of carol danvers post avengers 200 and post um, his work on Avengers Annual, I think it was number 10, where uh, Carol begins to become a hero in the Marvel Universe again. Yeah. And I like that she doesn't turn into Jean Grey and it's just like, this power, like I'm no. an all powerful, you know, she's just like, oh, you know, I love to go to Cape Canaveral when I was a kid. So this is my dream to be able to fly through space. <laughs> and she's just excited about like having the power to zip through space. Although she does immediately burst out of the side of the X-Men spaceship and 164 ends with like, the ship's decompressing too fast. We're getting sucked into space. Yeah. See you next issue. <laughs> oh, did the right. power just go out on you? Yeah. On me? Can you hear me? Oh, you're, uh, yeah, you're, no, your screen, I think it just, uh, like. I thought you were continuing your, buffer, uh, Captain Marvel sequence of dialogue. Oh, no. Uh, you're, you're. Somebody turn the power off in this ship? <laughs> I thought that's what it was. <laughs> Who let this old-timey radio announcer in? <laughs> <laughs> what will happen yeah, to the X-Men the... next? Yeah, so, um, I, these aren't my favorite Uncanny X-Men issues, definitely, but, uh, there's some interesting stuff here, you know, and definitely some interesting additions to the, the Marvel and X-Men canon. I think the thing that works best here is that Wolverine has that egg inside of him that his healing factor kills, right? And his healing factor really is getting underlined here. Like, in the Wolverine, he's getting slashed, like, full... He's just using his bones as shields (laughs) against uh, samurai swords. Like, he's holding up his forearm to take the hit from a sword, which is something... We haven't seen it that explicit, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Like, um... But his healing factor, like, eliminates the egg from inside of him. But everybody else has an egg inside of them, and he doesn't know how to deal with it. He wants to kill the Hive Queen, thinks that might deal with it. Cyclops stops him. I love there's a panel where he's getting mad at Cyclops because Cyclops stopped him from killing the Queen. Yeah. And he's just like, it's what I, you know, it's what I planned on doing. And you see one panel where he, like, pulls out both claws. Both claws go, shh. And he's threatening Wolverine, and then it immediately cuts to the next panel, him looking sheepish, putting his claws back in, being like, sorry, sorry, I uh, I didn't mean that. Which I felt like is actually great character development for him. Yeah. It's like the only time we've seen him immediately regulate himself right. <laughs> and bring himself back down. Right. But it also was a funny comedy beat, because he just looked so, like, forlorn that he, he had lost control. Um. But yeah, the, the tension of, like, everybody else is infected, Wolverine's the only one who's not... And who knows that they don't actually know what happened to them. And he's like trying to shield them from that information. That's how we end this. So I think we'll uh, we'll see the, you know, the conclusion to that. Right. We have not Next seen the year. conclusion of the Brood Saga. I do think it's important to note that is coming in the in the uh, 1983 part one. And it's going to um, kind of uh, what's the word crossover with New Mutants a little bit, too. Oh, yeah. Of which we're going to do four episodes. I think we might have mentioned this, but 1984. I love how we uh, were just like, yeah, let's do um, the first 20 years of Marvel. Mm -hmm. We're going to do two episodes per year. Mm -hmm. 1982, three episodes. 1984, four. Let's just like. We're going to add one per year from here on out. I think that is, let's just keep the mathematical equation going. 
by the time we get Love to it. 2007, we're going to be doing, oh, approximately 27 issues per, <laughs> which actually sounds about right. I think two, 2025 will be the year of 2005. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you want to jump into Fantastic Four? Fantastic Four, number 240. We read first. This is all John Speak, Byrne wait, era. Uh, wait, no, wait, wait, wait. Back up. Back Get, up. I'm sorry. Back up. back up 10 seconds. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're going to do four episodes in 1983. Uh, speaking of four, <laughs> Fantastic Four. I'm, I'm working on my segue. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. Great okay, stuff. Thank you. Um, yeah, so John Byrne era, he's writing, penciling, inking uh, a whole, whole bunch of this. 240 is an important issue because of important things that happen. The important things that happen in this issue, called Exodus, one, the Inhumans can no longer take the polluted air of our planet. So they move their refuge, the Great Refuge, to the moon. And this is a thing I remember reading the first time through The Marvelous Year and thinking, I thought they were on the moon. It took 20 years, but we're here. (laughs) They finally get there. Uh, The other big thing that happens is uh, Crystal and Quicksilver have a baby, baby Luna, and uh, it's a little girl. So the Fantastic Four are around for that whole journey. Is there anything else you want to say about Exodus? <laughs> no, not really. Uh, you know what? Like, I, I gotta say, I definitely like. I, I, I like reading these just fine. Like, they're reading. They read well. I think he's tapping into like the nostalgia of the Kirby Stanley era, like really clearly. Mm-hmm. That's what he's going for, while also doing a decent job of modernizing it and like adding new wrinkles to it. Yeah. But I'm I'm just a little underwhelmed by John Byrne's Fantastic Four. Like I I, I think like I I'm, it might be a little bit of expectations that I was kind of hoping this would be at the level of some of the other you know Uncanny X Men or Daredevil, and I just don't think it is. No. Um, and it's fine. Like I think it's a very solid. Like I'd put it on the level of like Michelini's Iron Man, which is like something I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. I had fun reading it, but I also wasn't like it didn't blow my hair back. You know. I think um, I think good not great is probably where this run nets out, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I was very pleasantly um, surprised by it, I guess, reading it the first time, because I yeah. it was one of the runs that I hadn't really investigated much. And it's it's very consistent, you know, like in what it's yeah, doing and its characterization sure, yeah. of the teams. There's a lot of, there are a lot of good big ideas or big moments in this run mm-hmm. of things that I'm like, oh yeah, that's a thing that I always expected to see in Fantastic Four or always thought was coming. And it's like, oh, that cur- occurred here first, like these Inhumans things that develop, you know, moving their, their refuge to the moon. Um, but I think as a whole, it's not, it is, it is reflective of, hey, remember Lee Kirby days a little too much at points? And we're going to see that over the course of the next, like, three issues, which are, you know, our 800th version of, hey, Galaxus is back. Now, I think this is a yeah. better version than we've seen in a while, definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, for sure. But it's also a story we have seen a lot, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, you know, like, his art is fine. He's way too wordy. Like, if you look at these panels, often, like, a good quarter of the space is word bubbles of the entire page like he is way way too wordy with this which is too bad because sometimes you feel like that wordiness comes from maybe a writer doesn't quite understand how much space it's going to take up but he's writing he's drawing these too so he like has the ability to modulate this um and it's not like the writing's bad the writing's not like steranko just like a a wall of text that you have to you know pound your head against it's just a little too much i was just gonna Um, say with steranko i do think it's interesting how many of these very talented artists we've seen who, when they get the opportunity to write their own stories as well, 
write a yeah. shocking amount of text because I, I, yeah, my yeah. assumption would just be like, well, the artist perspective would be, I don't want too much dense wordiness, like crowding what I spent all this time drawing, you know? Sure. Um, but yeah, yeah, actually yeah. it's often not the case. There are obviously exceptions, yeah. not some of this too, just comes down to, I didn't have time to write you a short letter. So I wrote you a long one. You know, like it's good writers know how to edit and keep things concise. Yeah. And sure, that is a yeah. skill set yeah, yeah. that is mm. not everyone's best skill set. I mean, that said, you know, Chris Claremont, that's one good, of my. That's a good line. I like that. I've never heard that before. That's a that's a Mark Twain quote. I, I definitely oh, cannot yeah. take credit. Um, But there's a. Uh, you, you could have. I wouldn't have. Known. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh that's definitely one of mine. Um, Have you ever read Kid and Camelot? That's one of mine, too. I, I wrote the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Kid and Camelot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the 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 classic Mark Twain Twain story. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, no, but Claremont is like super wordy writer as well, and obviously I really enjoy him. So some of that's just era and style too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I like his art generally here. Um. Oh, I remember talking about this back in our like 1963 episode mm-hmm. where I was like, "Isn't there some story?" Because the thing initially starts out all lumpy and weird, and I was like. I remember way back in like one of our first episodes, I was like making fun of how like lumpy and gross he is and he's wearing a big diaper. And I was like, isn't there some story where like, because he's going to turn stony later and then like there's some story where he turns lumpy again and he reverts to this weird lumpy form. And it's like there's an actual plot point to his, you know, switch here. And you were like, no, idiot, that never happens. I'm the comic (laughs) book expert. And I was like, but Dave, I know I'm the comic book newbie, but yeah. Won't you listen to me for once? Yeah. And you were like, shut up. Right. I'm the captain here. We had a very aggressive um, um, expert and newbie relationship in those early episodes, which, yeah, you know, if you didn't listen days. along, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that you do so because, mm-hmm. I, listen, I said a lot of things I regret and, and wish I could take back. Uh, also, it it definitely the show has progressed since then. But you're right. This is Kirby totally throws yeah. or uh, Burn totally throws back to that with the thing's current state of being, which is. Which is actually a really good example of like, okay, I know you love the Lee Kirby run, and I do too, um, but I really prefer the thing looking like, you know, solidified instead of this melted yeah. jumble, I, you know? It's like, I'm it just glad looks they, so much they, worse. Yeah, they switched that here. Oh, when Franklin comes in, because Franklin, like, I don't know what his powers are. Well, hang on, hang on. We're that... skipping the Galactus, the Galactus arm. Oh, sorry, sorry. The one thing uh, I wanted Terex... to say about Galactus here is it introduces huh. or really hits the... The angle of Reed Richards saying Galactus Mm -hmm. is a necessary force in the world. And not only that, but he's a sentient being and we cannot let him die. Oh, God. It just reads as like everyone in the crowd should just be like, shut up, Reed, and then put a bullet in Galactus's head. (laughs) You know, like he reads as like so naive. Yeah, Frank Castle is not in this issue, sadly, because that definitely would have been. Oh, my God. That would have been incredible. Um, Yeah, it, it is. It is pushing the limits of that like idiotic like we can't kill anyone like never you know we should never ever kill killing is always bad because they they do that line in um x-men as well i mean I think. every every comic With, we read oh that's yeah a, Magne- that's a recurring oh, it, was, it was thing it was the magneto um professor x thing yeah and <laughs> magneto was like killing nazis and professor x was like did you have to kill them yeah and magneto's just like yeah you're right what are you talking about like <laughs> 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 they these are they are literal nazis that was a great you killed people in the korean war yeah yeah um and he's like yeah but i hated it <laughs> right no you're, yeah. you're totally uh, they, right that's a good comp uh, I, I i think it's less for me it's less about 
should we ever kill a sentient being <laughs> we just read but more about what it's setting up in terms of like galactus is a force of nature who has to exist in the universe because if mm. he doesn't the universe will collapse into a weird with that to me like the cosmic That's science part of it is more interesting to me that would be fine reed doesn't underline that i would have been way more into him rationalizing that he's way more of the like we can't take a sentient life right here right um i will say as much as i'm kind of like eh on the the end of this it does set up like my favorite fantastic four john burns story that i remember um yeah really liking before right so this this directly leads into some like wild stuff later that i really like yeah which we are going to um, read 245 you were kind of talking about uh yeah. franklin's power set we do see oh, we, we should mention uh what's her name um johnny's girlfriend who we kind of miss frankie ray becoming like frankie ray she you know yeah, she becomes, becomes nova like... not not that nova yeah. but uh nova the herald of galactus <laughs> yeah I don't know why yeah, she's got they couldn't have chosen a different, a different name there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, I mean, I don't really actually know where she comes from because I think I skipped. We skipped those issues, but she's like a fire-powered girl, kind of like Johnny Storm. Johnny loves her. Um, oh, left God, him can too. we point out? Yeah, this this Franklin issue has the worst opening, which is like Sue Storm goes on a, a like female daytime talk show or female-hosted daytime talk show. Okay. And, uh, and the host is just like, Sue Storm. So you've always been fourth wheel on the Fantastic Four and subservient to your husband. Isn't that right? Mrs. Richards? So uh, you, you changed your name for your husband? Hmm, interesting. You uh, you must not care about feminism. Hmm. Tell me more about that. Like, it's the most, like, gross, baity, uh, like, view of, you know, feminists are like, oh, interesting, you like men? Huh. <laughs> uh, wait, nice of you to betray your gender. Yeah, um, yeah, hmm, this, is, uh, this it, is TV host Barbara Walker. And yeah, yeah right. she's it's, coming it's at very... Sue. She's coming at her. Yeah, it's dumb. It's it's very yeah, it's very dumb. Oh, also, there's a there's not to you know, just a SJW corner here. But um, the other thing that rubbed me is this a new really the wrong way with just, is this our new segment. It is woke corner. <laughs> this is, I mean, that's that's the whole show. Get woke Dave. with Zach. Uh, Hit if it, our Zach. iTunes reviews are anything to to go by, what are you talking about? Every, every one of our iTunes reviews is no, that we have it. I why I'm are you inviting this into our world? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, right. Uh, with the uh, the Inhumans thing, which, again, is kind of not much of a story except they go to the moon. They do, they do talk about the Alpha Primitives in the absolute worst terms they've talked about them so far. Okay. Which is that Black Bolt goes to visit them and he's just like the Alpha Primitives who view him with hostility because they realized that they were keeping them as slaves, realized this was bad, and then incorrectly freed them. And they were just not civilized enough and they died from like starvation and disease. And we, you know, like they're not ready to progress beyond subservience. Yeah. Like we need to, which is literally the exact like conservative, intellectual conservative, uh, you know, the thinking man's rationalization for segregation and keeping, um, you know, like black neighborhoods segregated. That is like the William F. Buckley retort to we should desegregate schools is like this kind of benevolent oh yeah i mean of course like black people deserve just as much rights as everybody else but they um you know they're just like they're not ready to be integrated in fully because they're just you know culturally they're not civilized enough like, i would recommend that, is... that he read the case for reparations by donahese goats over in mm, the atlantic sure. great read yeah. that said yeah the the inhumans alpha primitive problem is so massive and I, yeah. I'll be interested to see when we get to the 98 Inhumans 12-issue yeah. series, yeah, yeah. they bring the alphas into that. I need to read that again and see, like, does this problem ever get sort of rectified or, or justified in I mean, at this a point, palatable like, just, way? You can, can kind of just ignore it and pretend, like, 
<laughs> it doesn't exist, you know, like they the Inhumans just do. Like, <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> right. I mean, that that would be better than this kind of like benevolent racism, <laughs> you know, like that, that kind of that it is uh, unbelievable to me that like he would write that and not understand that that is a super straight line from that to the way that people were talking about yeah. segregation not that long ago. No, it is just like um, if you had if you had the X-Men the, right now with their with their new nation state and we, the next issue was like, oh yeah, there's a class of people below them, uh, sentient beings who uh, do all their laundry and and they can't leave ever and have no freedoms of their own. It'd be like, right, right, what? Yeah. What are you doing? We can't possibly root for you now. Yeah, it's I, I it's kind of bizarre that like yeah, I don't know. It seems yeah. like I mean, yeah, nobody wants I, to touch again, it because it's, like, it's so it, like it's old insane. baggage that he could have just ignored. But like the way that he brought this in, I think is is rough. Yeah. Anyway, let's uh, let's move on to the Franklin thing. Franklin's a sexy bearded hippie now. Yeah, he becomes a a fine looking blonde man in issue two forty five. Um, he any, he any, uh, his powers which have been uh, modulated for a time here they get reset his his omega level. Mutant abilities kick into gear when Ben Grimm tosses him a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> and Franklin oh. simultaneously hears <laughs> yes. on TV something about being an adult. I don't even remember what the exact line is. <laughs> and uh, Franklin then decides, oh, power's active. I'm going to turn myself into an adult. So he does that. He fights the Fantastic Four for a while because they don't know who the heck he is. They think he infiltrated the Baxter building. And, of course, when he sees Sue, he sees Mom. Uh, the tide turns. And he says, hey, mom, I'm not sure what happened, but I made myself a man. <laughs> and he just has like a beautiful blonde beard and long, beautiful blonde hair. Dave, remind you of remind you of anybody? I see the flowing locks you're throwing in my face, but I'll be honest, I can barely see your beard. <laughs> I know. It's, <laughs> it is, it's is, trying. It's... I know it's trying. No, this is where it stopped growing. Right, yeah. right. It, well, I should say it tried. It's kind of past tense. Yeah. Um, Franklin's yeah, beard could, is quite a bit thicker. Her. I will give him that. Uh, I I like the I like reintroducing Franklin's immense powers in this in this comic. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's as good as some of the stuff that is going to be done with him, but it is um it is I think refreshing more often than not to be like, hey, can we acknowledge? That your son is like an extremely powerful mutant. That's actually more interesting yeah. than him being a four-year-old toddler. I I think a lot of times. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. I um, like it. It stays vague because this kind of like resolves itself here. He reverts back to a kid and doesn't remember what happened. But I almost kind of like that. Like, there's just this. Uh, you know, every once in a while you get a little glimpse of like, yeah, he's immensely powerful, and uh, everyone's just trying to like ignore it for now, and you know, right. hopefully don't have to deal with it right. at the moment. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's all. Well, the one thing the one thing he does do is on his way back down to toddler age, he tries to mm-hmm. um, return Ben Grimm to his mm-hmm. human status, and he somehow fails, but in the process makes it so ben, so John Byrne doesn't have to draw a lumpy Ben anymore. And uh, it's because him like to rocks. he and I actually like the rationalization for this, which is that he like looked inside of Ben and realized that Ben subconsciously does not want to be turned into a human. Okay. Because he's like a deep-seated fear of his is that the only reason Alicia's with him is because he's the thing. Like she wouldn't want him as a human. Yeah, which we've definitely they talk seen about before. like it's irrational. He knows it's irrational, but it's still just like so ingrained in his psyche that he genuinely just doesn't want to change back anymore. Yeah, and I even like read in the next issue in a very very uh, Lee Kirby nod. The issue starts out like splash page on first page is um is. Mr. Fantastic experimenting on Ben to turn him back into a human, which is like good Kirby machine. That was too. So, so many of the uh, 
the the old 60s fantastic force was just like opening scene bang grim in the machinery he's gonna get mad and destroy it all pretty soon <laughs> um yeah in uh in reed says something like you know i basically know that ben doesn't want to turn back into human so i'm just going through the motions here <laughs> you know like this all this is for show i'm not really trying to change him back which is kind of an interesting dynamic i like that it is. i think he's making a lot of interesting choices here um there's some like fun character you know what like this is just a good, solid... He's not changing the Fantastic Four. He's not, like, bringing it into a brand new era. But I think he knows how to tell, like, pretty fun, pulpy stories. Like, I think generally um, that that's where this strength lies. Yeah, I wonder, what is what is John Burns like? I mean, besides Alpha Flight, what is his, like, masterpiece? Um, I mean, obviously Alpha <laughs> Flight is the thing that everyone knows about and talks oh, about. Oh, he snuck that in there. His, like, you had me for a second, number too. One series. What is his but, like, masterpiece? What, uh, yeah, I mean, Man of Steel. It's right? called Uncanny X Men, Dark Phoenix Saga, and, da- oh, and Days yeah, of I Future mean, Past. I meant, I meant writing. Yeah, yeah. No, his no, art. I, I know what like you mean, time. but those are yeah. those are his best comics. Um, I mean, his yeah. Fantastic Four is well regarded. Uh, his yeah, work on yeah, Sensational yeah. She Hulk, I think, is kind of cult classic status. Alpha Flight mm-hmm. is sort of that like cult, um, cult. There's like that one insane just fan, one insane just cult. <laughs> I don't know what you call that, but they. Like a, a one-man cult, but it's just, it's a die-hard cult. Yeah, right. Just like yeah. that. Die-hard yeah, I mean, loner. His, um, uh, his Man his of Steel at DC for... is obviously a big deal. Yeah. It is a That's great. big capital yeah. B, capital D, big deal. Um, I don't, I'm not a huge John Byrne fan, I mean, as a writer. I think I like plenty of his work. I do not love any of it, um, increasingly less so as, as he progresses as a creator as well. I mean, by the time we get to the mid-90s, like, I don't. There's not a John Byrne comic I want to read. Yeah. Um, hmm. That said, like we're going to read plenty of his stuff here, and I'm going to talk positively about it, including Fantastic Four 246 and 247, The Return of the One, the Only, Doctor Doom. Zach, you are mm-hmm. the podcast's most famous and loud uh, <laughs> detractor of Emperor Doom. What were your thoughts here on The Return of the Doctor? The beginning of this? Bad. Uh, sorry, give me 30 seconds. I just got... I have to... Well, you started strong okay. there. You declared the Sorry, beginning, the beginning bad, then you got distracted. Yeah, okay. um, the beginning of this, uh, not bad, but like kind of the stuff about Doctor Doom that I am not that interested in, except for the fact that he just smooshes Puppet Master. Like he's big and Puppet Master is still in Littleville. And uh, Yeah, we don't drop like, the Littleville thread, which is nice, right? Yeah. Like we're, yeah, they're yeah, still like, there. With... His Doombots have to come rescue him. You know what I love yep. about 246? Is him? His Doombots not only puppet master, well, he like it's nothing. <laughs> he does, that is awesome too. But he rescues. It literally, the, the the sound is crunch. Yeah, <laughs> is the noise that comes. with Which it. you know, puppet master has coming. But his Doombots rescue him, and while they're rescuing him, they are so uh, programmed that they enact Epsilon protocols to capture the Fantastic Four, so that Doom, once returned to full size in a full body, can yep. immediately continue killing the Fantastic Four. No breaths, yep. no pauses. Um, they, they Doombots go ahead and capture them. They do all of the classic Doom Castle traps that I know you are sick to death of. Yeah, that's the stuff that I was... I, it was fine. Like, I didn't hate it. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't like, miserable throughout it. I just... Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't do that much for me. But what it does do, mm-hmm. Dave, it brought in what I have been waiting for. Yeah. Like literally, I think I've said it over and over again. What I've wanted is Doctor Doom being the benevolent ruler of Latveria, that like the people actually like him yeah. and he likes Latveria and he's actually good for Latveria. Because I think that is it I think this is the issue of that I've been waiting for, where 
the Fantastic Four helped, um, what's his name, Zerbo? I think it's Zerbo. That is um, very close, <laughs> if that's not, Zorba. Z- Zorba, yeah, Zorba the Greek. Helped him overthrow Latveria and, like, dis- depose um, depose and dispose of Ooh, Dr. Doom. Wordplay. That's nothing. Um, <laughs> and then, like, Dr. Doom's, you know, absent this whole time. He comes back and Latveria's in ruins. The economy's shot. There's secret police. There's extrajudicial extra killings. You know, like, it's a disaster, and everyone's like, please, where's Dr. Doom? Like, there was no crime when he was here. We all lived, like, happy lives when he was here. I mean, he was mm-hmm. threatening, yeah, but, like, he wasn't cruel to us. Um, I love it. That's, like, exactly the... I mean, this is partially, like, this is just what I wanted, so it's not fair for me to be like, these stories stink because it's not what I wanted to happen in it, but this is finally what I, like, kind of wanted. Maybe I was just thinking about this story the whole time and forgot that it actually existed. Yeah, I mean, it is a good one because it's... it inverts the old uh, Doom's going to try and kill the Fantastic Four and says, hey, actually, I need you to fight alongside me. Here's why you're going to want to do it, Um, which I I always like Doctor Doom Fantastic Four team-ups. That's always fun. There are innocent people being killed because you put this guy in power, right? Which is a complex conversation to be like, hey, you deposed a government. I'm sure there's like a much bigger potential takeaway of like, I, I don't know, did... Did the Fantastic Four up overthrow a nation and install democracy? And in the process of doing so, um, they like you know upset the apple cart in a way where it's actually better to have this uh, cruel tyrant at the top of things. Because you know you're you're I stating think... like Latveria's love for yeah. Doom, but so much of that is fear based as well. Because we do see a literal boy runs into him when they walk out in the streets, and Doom turns and he's about to waste that child before his. But then mom the boy is in. just like, "Mama, Mama, Doom's back!" Like, yeah, and then but then she's the, just like, but, "Thank God you're back." Yes, but what else would you say when your son is in the? you know, cross hairs of doom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I, you I would talk him saying. up. I, you know what? I don't, I was actually thinking, reading this, I was just like, you know what? He's not interested in the politics here, and neither am I. Like, I don't really want to think about this because I don't think he's Oh, it's not that kind of story at all. No. Yeah, I mean, at the very most, the very deepest he's going with this is, hey, maybe you shouldn't stick your nose in uh, a government you don't understand, which is like, sure. that might, that's the most criticism that it's doing of like, you know, American imperialism. Yeah. But I don't even I'd be surprised if that was even really on his mind. I don't know. I mean, I do think... Right. I, I do agree with you there. I do think it is... The Fantastic Four, we kind of go along for the ride, where it's like, well, Latveria is in ruins, and things are kind of bad, so we're going to overthrow Zorba. But it's still a pretty big jump for the Fantastic Four to be like, in order to put Doom back on the throne. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, that actually... Well, it he's, kind of he's getting a lot of, context. like, unsolicited, you know, uh, confessions from people who are just like... Please, like, put, you know, Dr. Doom was so good for us. Like, our lives were great under Dr. Doom. Like, sure, he was ruthless, but, you know, we all knew our place and everything was fine. Like, people are telling them that you screwed up by taking him away and, like, we want him back. Yeah, but Doom also murders an aide with his metal hands. He strangles him to death for making one mistake. Yeah, he tripped on his cape. Yeah. You don't mess with Doom's cape. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying he wasn't in the right. Doom, the thing is, Doom sets up the rules, and then he carries them out fairly. Zorba just presses a button and unleashes killer robots for no reason. That's, That's true. The, the killer robots were bad, a bad look for Zorba's yeah, reign. That maybe was, was a step too far. I mean, I called it way back in, like, whatever, 68 or whenever Zorba showed up. Uh, that, that guy looked like a villain right from the get-go. Yeah. Like, for no reason, he just has a, a weird robot eye. He looks like a weird James Bond villain. Hey, shouts as well to uh, Boris 
for uh, succumbing to Zorba's torture and not yeah. saying a word about Doctor Doom. <laughs> Gotta he love gets, good he gets old a Boris. call out too. I like that one of the civilians is just like, I remember fondly Doom would walk down the street, Boris scuttling behind. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Boris, Boris has been there all along. I wonder how long does Boris stick around? I'd, I'd read a book. Actually, I, I can't tell you how long. A dumb joke. But yeah. But, like, I was going to make a, a joke about this, but now I realize it's actually a good idea. I'd read a Boris miniseries. Oh, my gosh. Like, three yeah. three issues about Doom from the perspective of Boris? Yeah. Pretty. Sounds pretty interesting. Pitch that comic. It's a, I it's just a did. a hot seller. Oh, yeah. oh you, think this... you think Marvel Editorial is listening to our show? <laughs> That's Isn't that what this whole show is? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, about, what are our variant covers and all those heroes, if not? Good point. I'm still waiting for the royalty yeah. checks to start rolling in on all those my Marvel mm-hmm. Year shared universe characters. Despite the fact that I accidentally keep just like, oh, oops, created Venom. Oops. Yeah. Uh, oh, I uh, I created uh, Karma. Oops. We should get. <laughs> we should just get closer and closer to just very deliberately creating like specific character. I guess that's basically what I do anyway. I basically just did Batman last time around. So uh <laughs> Yeah, you were like Batman but his mom's wearing clams this time. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair summation of what Wait, happened. Wait, I actually there. don't remember who is the hero of that. Uh all I remember is Tiny Vampire was the villain and oh, who's yeah, the guy yeah, with the rock yeah, candy silver, arm? Silver Cerebellum. Silver yeah. Cerebellum baby. Yeah, yeah. Clearly right. we are done with these Fantastic Four comics. They're overall good, <laughs> yes, not yeah, great. I think, good. I think is uh yeah, it's fair I, to I'm, say. I actually kind of want to go back and like complete reading this series. It's good enough that I'm like, if I have a little time, I'm going to go try to read the whole thing. Like I'm liking it enough. And I don't know, maybe I'm just a little hungry for Fantastic Four. feels weird to say that. Like you are. Fantastic Four's never been my fave. Yeah. But I'm um, like, I like these enough that I'm like, I'll read more Fantastic Four. Sure. Alrighty. Next time it, we are going to be on 1983. to 1983, baby. Woo! We are moving at a clip here. I mean, 82, I would still years. say is the best. It, it yeah. only, only competition was 1966. For best year of Marvel that we've read so Six, far. 66 or 68? Uh, 66 is If This Be My Destiny, oh, Coming right. into Lactus, yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, Cosmic yeah, Cube, we and a couple other things. Yeah. Um, but thanks for listening, everybody. We are yeah. going just, to. I just got to. What do you got to say? Just hype up. 1983. Is 1983 it's good? Here. I don't remember. Is there anything uh, that gets gotta, like introduced that might be interesting? Or I don't, there's got to be something uh, to sell this year. Alpha Flight, baby. I tend to think of it just as the year before Secret Wars. You know, so it's sort of just like pre-hype. <laughs> what are we reading here? We're we're gonna read the beginning of the New Mutants, which I, I'm into. Continuation uh, of Uncanny. Doctor Strange versus Dracula, round two. <laughs> you know, I'm curious <laughs> I'm to read excited. that one again because I feel like people were pretty tired of of Dracula Doctor Strange battles in yeah. the club. But this is Roger Stern era. I'm I'm curious yeah. to jump back into that one Th- those are fun though strange versus dracula those ones were pretty good mm-hmm. um i mean the the two big things that we're reading number one like clearly alpha flight uh number two walt simonson's thor starts up so oh, i mean that, good, that's good, huge good. like that's uh we got like three issues of that next year yeah i did and add then, i know, mean i added uh, the fourth part the to the 83 recordings pretty much exclusively so we could do alpha flight for you we're also going to do I mean, a, couple a couple other limited I... series that kick off there yeah, Vision and the Scarlet Witch and Cloak and Dagger. I'm interested in that. Yeah, so don't worry, Club. Uh, otherwise... There's other yeah, stuff yeah. there, too. You won't just have to read about Canada's super team. Oh, it's so good. It's really good. I'm, I, like, I I'm just excited. reread those. I'm excited to talk they're, about it. They're very solid, yeah. Okay, all right. Let's. Uh, you know what? We got to do five issues because I need a whole episode just to talk about those five. You want to do five? You want to do one issue for five. Alpha Flight number one, one episode for Alpha Flight number two? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, not, I guess that's true. Nine episodes for 1983. We'll do the first three, first four as normal, and then five separate episodes. Do we launch a spinoff issue. pod? 
a little bonus spinoff co- pod called Flying Through Alpha Flight or what uh, Alpha Predators Only, Alpha Flight Issue by Issue. Alpha Protocol. Yeah. Alpha Flight Plan. Alpha. Alpha, <laughs> Alpha um, Flight's now boarding. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Uh-huh. You got it. You got. Can't believe you got there already. Alpha Flight that's... of the Concords. We write a funny song about each issue too. <gasps> that would be great if uh, either of us had any songwriting ability. Wow. Burns my songwriting ability and the cool name for a show. All right. We'll keep workshopping that. In the meantime, mm. you can find out how to uh, <laughs> rescind your support of the show now that we just made all those bad <laughs> jokes over at patreon.com slash year. Music for My Marvelous Year is by Disasterpiece. You can find all of the reading lists and, and notes here, um, or reading lists and guides in the show notes, as well as the Comic Book Herald email. Or, of course, find us at My Marvelous Year on social for ways to, uh, for any questions you might have things you're doing today just want to talk about um or of course if you need help finding what we're reading and where we're going Anything my else? ultimate year episode four just came out um last week so we're doing one of those a month came out on the first and uh we covered the ultimates which i think was like one of the more fun things to talk about and one of the more interesting comics we've read so far so if you are interested in getting that episode six months early check us out on patreon darn tootin thanks everybody for listening and as always We will see you next year. See you next year.